Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Judges chapter 16 as we continue in our series, uh, well, as we come to the end of our series on the book of Judges, and actually we've been looking at certain judges, deliverers in the book of Judges. Today, we not only conclude our, our, our part on Samson, but we also conclude our series in, in the book of Judges. As you know, we've been looking at this under the heading, you can, can you deliver? Can you deliver? Samson was a deliverer, but as we've discovered about Samson, he wasn't actually walking with God. He wasn't actually being faithful to what God would have him to do. Samson had destructive tendencies in his life. He had so much to offer. Of all the judges, Samson was groomed for this task, for this role. But he just never could seem to overcome uh, this tendency to self-destruct in his life. Now, I think we can learn from Samson what not to do instead of what to do. Uh, There's a reason we can learn from him because it will help us not to self-destruct in our lives. Last week, I told you three things that would keep you from self-destructing. Let me remind you of what they were. The first was show respect for authority. Show respect for authority. The second one was reverence your agreements. Reverence those agreements that you make, whatever they might be. And the third one was be rational in your actions. Samson did none of those things. Well, today we're going to conclude that by looking at Judges chapter 16. And I'm going to give you three more truths. Three more truths on how to keep from self-destructing. And as we look at these three more truths, I think they will help us and and lead us off that path of destruction. Here's the first one. You could say it's number four, but it's the first one today. Exercise restraint of your appetites. Exercise restraints of your appetites. Look at verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Now, do I need to spell out what's going on here? Do y'all kind of understand what's going on? Can we spare the little ones, okay? We understand. Okay. We're all the, raise your hand. We're okay, right? Everybody understand what's going on? All right. Thank you for your, uh, for your consideration, all right? He goes there. But the thing about this is that we've seen this happen before. Uh, we saw in chapter 14 that Samson told his father, go get me that woman because she's hot. I really want her as my wife. And so he, he did it. Well, here we see him making the same mistake. His appetite is out of control. His desire is out of control. His sexual appetite is out of control. Now, here's what I want you to know. The appetite for the opposite sex is God-given. Did you hear me? Listen very specifically to what I say. The appetite for the opposite sex is God-given. For the opposite sex, okay, is God-given. That's natural. That is a God-given thing. What we need to do is exercise restraint on that sexual appetite. Listen to the way Paul words it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. He said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, made holy, 
that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. So in other words, because you know God, because you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are to restrain your appetite. Those God-given appetites, you are to use them within the parameters that God has established. That's within the marital union. You live within those parameters. Do you have anything in your life that's out of control? Any kind of appetite in your life that's out of control? Maybe it's an appetite for entertainment. You just can't binge watch enough of Orange is the New Black or whatever it is that's popular today. You just, you just can't do it. You know, you, you find yourself binge-watching, and you can't get enough of entertainment. Uh, maybe, maybe it's recreation. You cannot wait for the, the, the week to be over so you can go to the lake, or you can go to the beach, or you can go to the mountains. You just can't wait. You've got to recreate. You've got to do all you can. Or, or, or maybe it's work. Uh, maybe there are some of you here, you are a workaholic, and all you do is you live to work, 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 work. That's Okay. Works fine as long as you control it, as long as you do it within the parameters. How about this one? Maybe you have an appetite for food that's out of control. Now I'm really meddling. Am I really meddling in your life? You, you have this, this out of control desire or appetite for food. God said food is okay within the parameters that God has established. You see, all these appetites that God gives us, uh, they're good when they're exercised within healthy parameters. But when you get outside the parameters that God has established, they become dangerous. They become a heartache, and they lead to destruction in your life. Now look at what happens in verse 2 and 3. We're not going to read them. Let me just tell you what happens. So word gets out that Samson's in the city of Gaza. So the leaders of the, of the city of Gaza say, we're going to get Samson. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to post guards around the, around the city at the gate. We're going to post guards. We're not going to take him at night. He's going to show up in the morning. We'll get him in the morning. So Samson wakes up at midnight, and he says, I'm going to go out. But he doesn't sneak out of the city. So what Samson does, he goes and pulls up the gates of the city of Gaza along with the posts that put in the ground, and he puts them on the shoulders, and he carries them to the top of the hill overlooking the city of Gaza. Why is that so important? Gates are a symbol of protection to the people. When the gates are not there, anybody can come in, come and go. There's no protection. But not only is it a source of protection for the people, it's also where they conduct commerce. It's also where they cast judgment. It's where they do the, the city meetings and all that. It's done at the city gate. So when you control the gates, when you take away the gates, basically the symbolism is this. I have now destroyed your city. I'm now over your city. So that's what I'm saying. Do you remember in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus told, uh, told us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the attacking army? Remember he says, the church, the disciples, we are to be an attacking army, storming the gates of hell. What do we do? We take those gates, the gates of hell, and we put them on a hill called Mount Calvary, and we say that Jesus has conquered hell. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's victorious over hell. That's what we're supposed to be doing. 
Because when we post the city gates, we're saying we have dominion, we have authority, we have power over you. So, so Samson does this in his life. He does this. He claims victory over the city of Gaza. Even though he gets close to being captured and he gets close to being destroyed, uh, he was able to get away. But we're going to see that his lust gets the best of him. He falls back into that same old routine. Look at verse 4. Sometime later, we do not know how much time, uh, sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. She's a Philistine. Okay, she's the enemy, so to speak. Uh, this is who she was. So his weakness uh, leads him on a path of self-destruction. He just could not escape. So if you want to avoid self-destruction, you've got to restrain your appetites. Second truth, practice resistance toward the enemy. Practice resistance toward the enemy. Look at verse 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Here's what I want you to notice about this passage. Get out your pen, your highlighter, whatever you're going to do. You know I love for you to do this, right? So this is not a new exercise. I like you to circle. I want you to underline. I want you to notice the key thoughts in this passage. This is pivotal. I want you to underline the word lure. It's lure in NIV. I don't know what it is, the other translations. Uh, lure. I want you to underline the word lure. I also want you to underline the word overpower. I want you to underline the word tie up or tie him up. And finally, that word subdue. It could be overtake, but to subdue. Lure, overpower, tie him up, and subdue him. Those are the very steps the enemy wants to use to destroy you. He wants to lure you. He wants to overpower you. He wants to tie you up, and he wants to subdue you. That's what he wants to do. Now, who is your enemy? The devil. Satan. Satan is your enemy. And let me tell you something about Satan. He is real. He is alive. He is active. And he is powerful. How does Peter describe him? He said, he said our adversary Satan is a roaring lion looking for those he may devour. Satan wants to gobble you up. He wants to eat you alive. This is who our enemy is. And so we have these adversaries of Samson trying to, trying to deceive him. Uh, they're trying to trick him. It's the same way of Satan. Satan wants to trick you. Satan wants to trap you. Uh, he wants to destroy you. And at the very minimal, at the very minimal, what Satan wants to do to you, he wants to render you ineffective in the kingdom of God. He knows he can't take your soul because Jesus has already got that. But if he can silence you and shut you up in the kingdom of God, it's just as good for him. That's the minimum that he wants to do. He is not your friend. Don't buddy up next to him. He's not your friend. So what do you do? Peter says, resist him and stand firm in your faith. Resist him and stand firm in your faith. However, instead of resisting, we have a tendency to get closer and closer to danger, 
flirting with disaster just like Samson. In verses 6 through 14, we see Samson getting closer and closer to disaster. Uh, in chapters, in verses 6 through 14, we see that Delilah begins a series of tests for him. And each time, he gets a little bit closer to revealing his strength. But Samson was aware of what she's doing. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says, tell me, this is Delilah speaking to Samson, tell me how you can be tied up and subdued. She told him what he wanted to do. I want to tie you up and I want to subdue you. You know, this is why, so, so every time she tried, gets closer and closer. How many times does Samson need to hear, to hear the word, Samson, wake up, the Philistines are upon you, before he realizes, maybe they're trying to catch me. Maybe they're trying to get me. This goes on three times. And he's toying with her. He, he's playing along with her. He, I, I, she can't do anything to me. I'm stronger than her. So he's just playing around with her. This is what he's doing. He's toying around with the enemy. She said, tell me the secret to your strength. Instead of toying with her, he should have been resisting her at every turn. Listen, you cannot mess around with the enemy. You cannot mess around with Satan. He will destroy you. He will devour you. James tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you. But Samson does none of these things. He doesn't do it. So finally, Delilah is at her, at her wit's end. Uh, she's tired of Samson's uh, schemes. Look at what she says in verses 15 and 16. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Man, how can you say you don't love me? That'll get a guy every time. Every time. Uh, just say, well, you don't love me. Oh, man. Okay, you can buy that. Okay, you can do that. You know? that that'll get a guy every time. Uh, you know, how can you say you love me when you won't even tell me the secret? You won't tell me the secret. So finally, after all her nagging, on and on and on, he finally gives in to her. Look at verses 17 through 19. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. What kind of knucklehead falls asleep in the lap of the woman who's trying to trap him and overpower him? What kind of moron would do that? Yeah, Samson, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably each one of us, if we're honest. Uh, you know, uh, this, this is terrible. How, how can he do that? But you see, that's what happens when you give in to the lure of your adversary. You think you're more powerful than them. You think you can overcome them in your own might, in your own power. Let me ask you a question. Are you flirting? Or are you befriending someone? You may... 
that you like to you know, look at or you talk to and, and you think they're going to help you. And so you, they, they befriend you. They become your, your pal. Yet really what they are is a tool of the adversary. Satan's actually using them to entrap you, to lure you away. You're going to enjoy them for a while. You're going to have some good times for a while. But ultimately, they're going to bring you down. Ultimately, they're going to lead you in the trap that Satan has for you. You need to resist them. You need to stand up to them. It's anyone or anything who can be used as an ally of the adversary, you need to avoid. Hear me on that. Anyone who can be used as an ally of the adversary, you need to avoid. You need to avoid them. But Samson does just the opposite. Uh, He doesn't do any of that. Basically, Delilah wore him down, and he broke the the last facet of his vow about being a Nazarite. Remember, he broke it last week. He said, He uh, touched dead bodies. He had wine-drinking parties. Now he's cut his hair. The last of his vows. He compromised on everything. So what else you got to do? Well, you you need to make sure that you resist, practice resistance toward the enemy. You got to exercise your strength of your appetites. The final one, be receptive to God's activity. Be receptive to God's activity. To me, this is the saddest part of the story. They alerted uh, Samson, uh, as she'd done before. She alerted Samson, Samson, get up! The Philistines are upon you! But it's different this time. It's not the same result. Look at verse 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go, as be- I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. How can you not know that the Lord has departed from you? How? How can you know the Lord has departed from you is probably even a better question. Is you become insensitive to his presence in your life. You no longer realize that he's not moving in your life. You know, throughout this story, the story of Samson, We see that every time God wants to do something, the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson and empowers him to do something great. Every time. We see that in the Old Testament. God, the Holy Spirit, would descend upon people for a certain amount of time to do something extraordinary. That's the way the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. He never stayed forever on a person. He would come and go as it was. But after the Old Testament... After Jesus Christ has died and has been resurrected and has ascended into heaven, He left His Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, for those people that believe in Jesus Christ, He places His Holy Spirit within them, and the presence of the Holy Spirit never leaves a believer. Listen to the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Let me cut to the chase. If you say you, if the Holy Spirit is not living in you, you are not a Christian. That's it. The Holy Spirit is proof, is evidence that God, that you are a child of God. Paul said it's the seal of God's ownership that he places on you. 
You become a temple of God. You become a, a sanctuary for the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Even though the Holy Spirit lives in you, you can, you can cease to be receptive to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You can grieve Him by your sin. You can grieve Him by your disobedience. Listen to the way Paul says it in, a, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says, don't grieve him. Don't make him sad. Because he sealed you with this. So don't grieve him. He also says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul said, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Put it out. So you can suppress the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can, you can suppress His activity of conviction of sin in your life to the point where He's not active in your life. He's not working in your life because you continually resist Him. You're no longer living under His, His influence. You can quench the Holy Spirit in your life by not allowing Him the freedom to do what He longs to do, what He desires to do. Listen, listen, we can do it in the church. We can do it in the church. I, I know y'all find that hard to believe, but the Holy Spirit works through individuals. And when we, when we cease to listen to the Holy Spirit, we quench His fire. We grieve Him because we're not in tune with what He wants to do. We can do that in our own lives. Listen, the Holy Spirit is God active in your life. It's God wanting to manifest His presence through you. And a sure way to self-destruct is not to respond to the Holy Spirit. Not to respond to what He's doing. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you respond immediately and repent of that sin and turn to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit convicts you to speak a word of truth and to speak a word of grace in a situation, and you don't do it, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. You're quenching Him. You're quenching His power. That's exactly what Samson says in verse 20. Look at what it says in verse 20. He says, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He said, I can do it just like I always did. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I, can, I got this. And that's what we do all the time, isn't it? He said, hey God, I, I got this. I don't think I need you. God, I'll call on you when it's really big, but I got the little things. Let me tell you something. If you don't trust God in the little things, and you don't call on God in the little things, He ain't going to be there for the big things. He ain't going to be there. Samson says that. But here's the thing. He said, I'll go out. I'll take care of this. But he did not know that the Holy Spirit was no longer empowering him. Let me ask you a question. Are you suppressing the Holy Spirit's activity in your life? Are you? Are you suppressing the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life because He's asking you to get out of your comfort zone? He's asking you to do something you've never done before. He's asking you to take a step of faith. And you're saying, I don't think so. I don't think so. I kind of like it over here. We do it all the time. Look at verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, 
they set him to grinding in the prison. Do you see how Samson has self-destructed? He's had his eyes gouged out. He's in shackles. And he's doing the work of a prisoner. That's a fitting conclusion for Samson. Let's just stop it there. I think we've learned enough from Samson. It's a sad story. But bear with me one moment. I want you to just look at the very next word in verse 22. You see it? But. But. But says something is about to change. Don't you love that word? Don't you love that word, but? That's B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, okay? Don't you just love it? That's a great word. Uh, let's skip over the New Testament, just brief. Let's go over the New Testament. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I want you to see another great use of this word. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 3, okay? Are you there? I want you to get there because I want you to circle some words, okay? As for you, this is to us, okay? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now that's probably not something uh, you were going to hear at a positive thinking seminar. Uh, Sounds pretty bad. Matter of fact, it sounds real bad to me. It sounds like having your eyes gouged out. It sounds like having shackles placed upon you. And it sounds like grinding at the mill. That's what it sounds like to me. But look at the very next word of verse 4. But. Something's going to change. Something is about to change. Don't you just love that word again? It doesn't lead you where you are. It takes you where you're going to be, where you, where you can be. And this is especially true after you've just been told that you're dead in your sins, you're following the course of the world, you're following the course of the devil, and you're a child, as a child, you're under God's wrath. But then listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. He said, but, but, circle it, circle it. He doesn't leave you where you are. He said, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Woo! Ain't that some good stuff? But you're not dead in your sins. You are alive in Christ. You are no longer in bondage. You're no longer shackled. You're no longer enslaved. You're no longer just grinding it out. You are now a child of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Man, that is some good stuff. You're no longer dead, but you're alive. But, isn't that a great theological word? Woo, I love it, I love it. Now, let's get back to Samson. Where are we at with Samson? Y'all remember where he's at? Eyes gouged out. He's in shackles. He's 
grinding as a prisoner. Look at verse 22. But, <laughs> but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Something else was about to happen. Something else was going to happen. What was indicative of Samson's supernatural strength began to grow back. Now, I want you to understand something here with me. It was not Samson's hair that made him strong. Okay? Samson's hair was simply a, a, a symbol of a vow that he had made. What made Samson strong was the Holy Spirit that came into him. But this was an important venture in Samson's life because it means that God had not abandoned him. God had not deserted him during this, this time. So the Spirit of God was coming in to make him strong. Now, now here's where we're at. Aren't you glad sometimes that your hair begins to grow back? Don, wouldn't you like to have your hair grow back? Yeah, yeah. wouldn't it be great to have your hair grow back? <laughs> the spiritual hair. We want our spiritual hair to grow back. Maybe you've been through some embarrassing times in your life. Maybe you've been through some destructive times in your life. Maybe God used you in the past, but you self-destructed. Or can I even be more personal? Maybe God used our church in the past, but we self-destructed. We self-destructed. It happens all the time. Your spiritual eyes are gouged out. You feel like you're in shackles. And you feel like all you're going to do is just grind it out for the rest of your life. But then the Spirit begins to stir you. The Spirit of God begins to stir your heart. And somehow that flame begins to get rekindled in your life. You may think you're spiritually bald, okay? But guess what? God is still working. God is still moving. And the Holy Spirit begins to stir in your life. Think of Moses. Remember Moses, he wanted to do God's will, so he thought he'd take it in his own, own hand. He murders a person, casts him away for 40 years. 40 years. But then the last 40 years of his life, his spirit was revived. And God used him to be a great deliverer of the people of Israel. Think of the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Everybody else will deny you, but Jesus, man, not me. I got your back, Jesus. You can count on me, Jesus. And the minute Jesus is put on trial, I don't know him. I've never heard of him. I don't know. Three times he denied him. And you know what Peter did after that? And you, the synoptic gospel, you've got to kind of piece it all together. He goes fishing. He goes back to what he was previously doing. But then when he's out there fishing, guess what? He has an encounter with Jesus. And with that encounter of Jesus, Jesus restores Peter. And his hair starts growing back. His spiritual hair starts growing back. And the Spirit of God comes upon him again. And then what does God do with him? He uses Peter. He uses Peter, the, 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 the leader of the church, one of the greatest apostles, and he ignites passion in the world for the gospel. God used Peter in a mighty way to accomplish great things. Listen, you may find yourself in a place where you think, I can never be a deliverer again. You think that God could never use me again. Look at verses 25 through 27. 
While the Philistines were in high spirits, they were throwing a party here. They shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. I got some good news for you. You can experience the power of the Holy Spirit once again in your life. Yes, you will suffer. There's going to be some, some difficulties. And you're, you're, you're going to have to go through some problems. But God still wants to use you. Samson's enemies made sport of him. They made fun of him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. In the first service when I read this passage, a little girl sitting about where, uh, about where Andy and Brandy are sitting back there. When she heard that, she raised her hand and goes... <laughs> She was on the edge of her seat. Notice what he did. He called on the Lord. You see, it's not enough just to have your spirit revived. You eventually got to pray to God. You eventually got to call out to God. Call on the Lord and asking Him to strengthen you once again. Samson may have thought that, that while he was in prison, working as a grinder, that he was finished. There was nothing left for him. He had, but God comes along and says, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. You see, God was not finished with Samson yet. And here's what I want you to hear, my dear friends. God is not through with you either. And listen, listen. He's not through with Western Heights. He's not through with us. He still has a plan. He still has a purpose. But we got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and we got to call upon the name of the Lord. You need to do that in your individual life and you need to do that in your life. God in His great mercy is calling you to repent and He's providing you an opportunity to be a deliverer. The very fact that you are here this morning means that God is not through with you. He's not through with you. If He was through with you, you heard me say this a thousand times, if He was through with you, He would call you home today. He is not through. Don't waste the life that God has given you. Don't waste it on frivolous things that do not matter anywhere. The only things that matter is the work you do for the kingdom of God. That's the only thing that matters. Now, you still got to make a living. I understand all that stuff. I'm not stupid, okay? The only thing you matter, the only thing you're going to take with you are the souls of men. That's it. That's what Paul said. He said, what is my joy? What is that joy? Is it not you? Is it not you that I've led to Christ? That's my joy. That's my joy. 
you can deliver. The question is, will you deliver?